up next on a special Black Issues Forum. The verdict is in on the trial of Derek Chauvin, and the nation is responding. Our panel weighs in on what this means for policing as we know it and the future of equal justice. Stay with us. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Black Issues Forum. I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. It was about a year ago on May 25th, 2020, that disturbing video of a police officer pressing his knee against the neck of a man on the street hit social media and set off a wave of protests over what resulted in the death of George Floyd. Now, a judge and jury have decided what happened on that day. Members of the jury, I understand you have a verdict. Jurors in a Hennepin County, Minnesota courtroom deliberated 10 hours over Monday and Tuesday to reach a verdict in former police officer Derek Chauvin's trial for killing George Floyd. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021 at 1.44 p.m. Derek Chauvin is convicted of three state murder charges, second-degree unintentional murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. Aggravating factors could increase sentencing to 75 years. This, this is a huge day for the world. Yes. We're, we're finally starting to see, you know, we walked around with eyes wide shut for a long time, so they're starting to open today. Crowds cheered as the verdict was read. America has a long history of systemic racism. Black Americans and black men in particular have been treated throughout the course of our history as less than human. Black men are fathers and brothers. There is systemic racism that's a stain on our nation's soul. <clears throat> the knee on the neck of justice for black Americans profound fear and trauma, the pain, the exhaustion that black and brown Americans experience every single day. Derek Chauvin's sentencing is expected in eight weeks. I'd like to welcome Mary C. Curtis, a journalist and host of the Equal Time podcast. Dr. Erica K. Wilson, an associate professor at UNC School of Law and community activist Greer Webb, co-founder of Young Americans Protest. Greer, I want to start off with you because you were involved in the protests of summer 2020. And I want to know, what does this guilty verdict mean to you and to your cause? Well, thank you so much for having me here today, Deborah. I think that this is one small step toward accountability, but I don't see this as true justice. Um, the Floyd family, as well as other families that have had victims of police brutality, say the same thing. Um, because this person, because George Floyd is no longer with us, no longer walking the earth, it's not justice, but it is a small measure in accountability. And so I think that um, this is what so many of us, so many young people, so many in the community have been pushing for for over a year. And it's very sad and troubling to me that it took um, a year. It took a worldwide video taken by a 17-year-old young woman for folks to realize that um, this needs to be addressed right now. And so while I am pleased with the guilty verdicts in this case, um, that's not going to prevent the next murder from occurring. So I'm now focused on and continue to focus on systemic change and the structural change that's needed, specifically when it comes to policing in the United States. 
we'll, def we'll definitely talk about what is to come in the future, but there have been, Mary, so many reactions that the cameras have shown us. What have you taken stock of in the reactions, and how do you summarize? Well, I agree with Greer that people, yes, there's a certain amount of excitement and a little bit of celebration, but it's tempered with the fact that, of course, Mr. Floyd uh, is still deceased, and the fact that even though the prosecution made the case as they had to, that it was about one officer and not about policing in general or police, I think everyone realizes that there has to be some kind of police reform. During the trial, we even saw that close by Dante Wright, there was a police killing during this particular trial, and every day it has happened. And also, folks realize how rare this is, that this was a case, you had a black uh, attorney general in the state, and the prosecution really argued it in a very strong way. Uh, and you had fellow police officers testifying against this officer, which you rarely see. And it wasn't a split-second decision, which is the usual excuse, that you had this video by this brave young woman, I hope she's getting some help because that is so traumatizing, of nine minutes and 29 seconds of torture. So this was unique. And the question, as Greer has said, is what is going to go on moving forward? And you did have the protest. It, I have to commend all the people, including young folks like Greer and my son, who did uh, take out to the streets and demand justice. So yes, people are saying, yes, this is good. But at the same time, if this did not end in a guilty verdict, I think it would have been devastating because it would have meant that pretty much police could get away with anything. Well, in this case, it did result in a guilty verdict, a guilty verdict on three counts. And Professor Wilson, I want you to explain, if you will, what does the guilty verdict on all three counts really mean and how important was it that the jury reach a guilty verdict on all three counts? Yeah, so I'll pick up on what Mary said in terms of the importance of uh, a guilty verdict being had here. Um, in many ways, I say that this ca case tested the real outer limits um, of the legal system. If there was not a guilty verdict here, one would have to question when there would ever be one, given the egregious nature of the, the facts in this case. In terms of the importance of there being a guilty verdict on all three charges, if you recall back to when the prosecutor had the courage, frankly, to even charge what uh, what they call second-degree unintentional murder, people were saying that he overcharged uh, and that this was manslaughter, not murder. Um, but it's important that the prosecutor added that second-degree unintentional uh, murder charge along with the third-degree murder charge and along with the manslaughter charge because we we wanted uh, a statement from the jury, uh, A, that this was murder. Uh, and so the second-degree murder charge allowed the jury to find that um, Officer Chauvin assaulted um, uh, Mr. Floyd, and in the context of that assault, actually murdered him. It's essentially a felony murder. Uh, and so with the, uh, the third-degree murder charge, uh, it allowed the jury to find that he acted with a depraved mind or heart in doing so. And then with the manslaughter charge, it allowed the jury to find that he was 
culpably uh, negligent in his actions. So all of those things matter in terms of what the jury was able to look at the video and the facts and, and to, to make a finding, frankly, of all three of these things. Greer, I want to ask you, what did you take away from the trial and the procedures? It's been a lot that's had to unfold in order to reach this guilty verdict. What st stood out for you? You know, I actually tweeted the other day, Deborah, and just said that um, it was agonizing. Even waiting um, yesterday for those few hours, it was agony. Because for so many of us who are black in the United States, we didn't know which way this was going to go. Uh, for many of us, we may have leaned toward guilty or not guilty even, but we were unsure. And the fact that we have to be unsure in a case like this is agonizing and traumatizing in and of itself. And so as I watched the proceedings, um, I was very pleased with how the prosecution handled the case. Uh, as someone that wants to go into law or maybe public service, Jerry Blackwell, one of the prosecutors, actually went to UNC Chapel Hill. And so to see the way that they actually did value human life and that they laid the case out clear as day for the jury so that they could come back relatively quickly and make this decision of guilty on all three counts, um, I was very pleased. As Mary said at the top, this isn't so much of a celebration, though. It's time to exhale and in that same breath, move towards systemic change and continue to pressure our leaders, continue to hold feet to the fire so that we don't have any George Floyds in the future or so that we can prevent the number of George Floyds from happening. We know police violence is going to continue in this nation. Um, the history tells us that, but any reduction in the number of black lives lost in our communities is a positive. And I hope this case sets the standard to that matter. Well, Mary Greer just said this does not necessarily mean a change for policing, but, but you've had an opportunity to, to see and cover various stories throughout your career. And I want to know what your reflections are on the impact of this case on equal justice. Well, I think definitely there is an impact. Uh, and people, yes, you could see it in the faces of Mr. Floyd's family. And the fact that they are with the families of other people, like Mr. Wright, like Eric Garner, so many names, it would take up the whole show. Um, but I do think that we have to look at things that are going on right now. And you see both things to be uh, positive about and things that give you pause. In my home state of Maryland, the legislature just uh, overrode the governor's veto to take some power away from the police and also to have reforms when it comes to discipline and investigation and get citizens more involved. Uh, and so that's a good, uh, a positive development. But then you see in Florida, they've just signed a law, Governor DeSantis, that is going to criminalize forms of protest. And it seems to be directly aimed at Black Lives Matter protesters. Uh, so we see so, this kind you know, of, we see this sort of a victory, but then the pushback. So it's almost as though we have to yes, be ready for yes. that. Yes, and, 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 and nationally, the George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act, which is a lot of reforms that polls say that the public agrees with, banning chokeholds, limiting no-knock warrants, getting data collection so that police can't go from one jurisdiction to another when they get in trouble, but is stalled in the Senate. So, uh, you know, we have to still keep this up, and you do, I do think there will be more protests and marches. More protests. But it takes a combination of things coming together to make progress 
occur and, and uh, Professor Wilson, that leads me to asking you, you know, we take a look at everything that had to be mounted um, for the for the prosecution to win, but also the strong case that the defense put up. And I wanted to ask you, what do you believe really influenced this jury uh, the most um, to deliver this guilty verdict? What did it take? So I think there were two really critical things that it took. The first thing that it took was to for the jury to find that uh, Officer Chauvin actually caused the death of George Floyd. If you remember, the uh, the defense's defense was that uh, Mr. Floyd uh, was a drug addict and that he was killed by other superseding factors, particularly this idea that because he um, was on drugs, that that is what caused his death and not uh, what we saw with our own eyes, which was the officer putting his knee in his ne on his neck for nine minutes, right? And so... Right, and it seems like that's one of the go-tos when a case like this comes up. Let's take a look at this victim. Right. That's exactly right, especially when you have a black victim, right? Black victims are often put on trial uh, during the trial of their murderers. And so we see that happen a lot. We saw that happen in the Trayvon Martin case. Uh, you could name a lot of them where this happens. And so the thing that the prosecution had to do was to overcome that tremendous hurdle. And I, for me, that's the one of the greatest victories that I take out of the verdict is that they rejected what is what I see as a very racial specialized uh, defense um and, and found that the officer did cause his death. The second thing is that they had to find that Chauvin acted outside of the bounds of what a reasonable police officer would do. Uh, and so we saw other officers testify that his conduct was out of bounds. But just from a normative matter, it was really important to have that uh, out there, that this is not how a reasonable police officer should act or could act, and therefore uh, he is guilty. So those two things, I think, were critical in terms of reaching the verdicts that were reached. Greer, I want to bring you in again because you've been fighting for a cause for at least uh, a year. What were you fighting for in this, and how much of that did you get some satisfaction on when this guilty verdict was returned? You know, I think that's a crucial question for not only myself, but so many young people, so many people, period, in the United States that came out last year that have come out um, for decades and centuries even to protest what is wrong in hopes of getting um, justice. And so I was satisfied. I was pleased. And again, I feel like this is a step toward accountability for the system of policing in the United States, but not necessarily true justice. I say often that true change takes education plus protesting plus policy change. So that's what I was fighting for along so many others last year, last summer, was to educate our communities. We had many uh, white brothers and sisters and gender nonconforming folks that were out with us wanting to learn more about this movement for black lives. We protested, obviously, and will continue to. And as Mary said, in the future, I'm sure protests and marches will occur. And now we're waiting on that policy change, that final leg of what I call true change. And so that's what I'm pushing for now. Um, the only way we can do that is to unite as one, as a community, um, to hold officers accountable, but to also hold the leaders accountable in each of our communities that have also uh, taken an oath to protect us, to keep us safe, and to fight for their constituents in the name of justice and equality. And so that's what I feel is the next step. And so I was pleased with the verdict. Um, the three guilty counts. And I think for so many of us, 
it was a relief because we fought so hard. We were out in the streets. We were uh, yelling until our voices were raw. We were tear gassed and pepper sprayed. And I think it is so key um, that we did get this verdict. But again, in that same breath where so many black folks in America exhaled, I think we've got to use that breath to recommit, um, to re-energize and unite as one to hold our leaders accountable and demand really uh, that true change and true justice is realized here in the United States and in North Carolina. You know, I, I love that uh, that uh, Greer has identified these kind of three points that are so key to progress: the education, the change in policy, um, the the protest itself, and there's another factor that is the social media aspect. And I wanted you to comment on how you believe the social media um, role in all of this has played out, and do you think that social journalism um, influenced the verdict? Uh, was that for me, Deborah? Yes, Mary. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's okay. Um, I think it is crucial. I think that is a big point. If people remember the civil rights actions of the 60s and 50s, that policy didn't change until the leaders were pushed by the people who were communicating and in the streets. And in this case, social media made this a global phenomenon. Uh, you saw people getting out there and also the journalists on the ground who were documenting everything. And we see in some cases where the journalists themselves were subject to some police violence because of course, transparency is the key. And I think uh, you'll see more of that and that will be crucial and every bit of something that the police are going to do, they know it is going to be documented. And I, and I would like to, you know, have a word in for my fellow journalists who have been out there, you know, getting pepper sprayed, uh, you know, getting the news out there. Uh, and it is always that transparency and that activism that then pushes our leaders. We've seen just recently that uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland in the Biden administration has uh, taken back that ban that the Trump administration had on consent decrees on overseeing local police departments. And that is not, of course, the final answer, but that would not have happened without making all of this transparent. I wanna stick with you on the journalism aspect because journalists have been targeted by both protesters and, um, and other folks w over this process why, and perhaps uh, Greer and, and uh, Professor Wilson, you can weigh in on this as well, why this targeting of the media? What, what's their role in kind of perhaps feeding a, a narrative that's not helpful to the cause? Mary? Well, yeah, I was just saying in, in Minnesota, you saw the governor, Tim Walt, step in to say that this is wrong because of the cases of journalists who with their press credentials getting arrested and attacked. And it's particularly the case for black uh, and minority journalists because sometimes even with press credentials, they are not believed. And sometimes they are, their white colleagues have to vouch for them. And sometimes that does not even work. And I believe an Asian American journalist was asked, do you speak English and, and was arrested? Uh, and so I think that is a, you know, a, a democracy, a cornerstone of a democracy is a free press. And I believe that that is going to play a big role as well into uh, investigating these cases and looking at them and not necessarily taking the, uh, you know, initially without that video, the press release from 
the police in the case of uh, George Floyd was that he struggled, there was a struggle, and then he was in medical distress. So now I think there will be skepticism, even on the part of some media that have been gull gullible, because you cannot take that as gospel. <laughs> and I don't know how healthy that is on either side. Professor Wilson, you know, the role of the media in all of this when it comes to equal justice, getting the, the right message out, and, uh, you know, fairness within the system. What, what are your thoughts? So I think it's important to acknowledge up front that the media can either be an arm and tool of white supremacy or it can upend it. And so I think what we're seeing in terms of resistance to the media is this fear, right, that the media is no longer uh, serving as a, the kind of conduit or tool for white supremacy uh, that certain institutions and power structures would like them to do. And I think a big reason for that is because social media has changed the game. It means that the the young 17-year-old girl who had the courage to videotape uh, that awful murder uh, now has the, the power to change the narrative. And so I think in some ways that holds media accountable because if the average person on the street with the cell phone camera in their hand can become uh, a conduit for media, that means that um, traditional media needs to make sure that they're getting the story right. But the most important thing, I, I, I can't emphasize this enough, is that the attacks on the media are most definitely, uh, in my opinion, um, related to the ways in which media um, is pushing back about against being a, used as a tool for white supremacy. As long as that keeps happening, the attacks on the media will c continue to happen. Greer, what are your thoughts about the role of media in all of this? I think media and specifically social media can definitely um, help the cause and help the movement. I mean, as Mary was alluding to, just expanding on a few of her points briefly, Omar Jimenez of CNN was actually arrested live on camera last summer, right? We saw live that um, they were being hit with rubber bullets and pepper sprayed and tear gas even when they were showing their credentials to the officers. And so I agree with Professor Wilson in that regard. I think that social media, um, we've seen this with the Black Lives Matter movement, can definitely play a powerful role in spreading narratives and allowing folks to bear witness to the truth, as young Darnella Frazier um, showed us in the filming of the horrific murder that was George Floyd's death. And so I think it's very key that we continue to use all of the tools that are laid in front of us, all of the tools that we have the power to uh, really take and, and, and really uh, change the ways that um, people are treated in this nation. And then hopefully we are moving and using social media to move toward uh, justice, equity, and transparency. Absolutely. Mary, what's next for America to continue to be awake? Or is America awake? If not, who's still sleeping? Well, I think a lot of people would like to say justice was done, the system is fine. That's why there's been mixed feelings, because a lot of minorities want to say, this was so rare. Look at these deaths that are still happening, these killings. This is the beginning, not the end. So the, the task will be to keep a focus on this particular problem, how police officers interact with the communities they're supposed to protect and serve, where in the case of minority com communities, it's too often that they're over-policed. Uh, you know, look at things like traffic stops and mental health crises. And it, is a police response the best response to these things that so often end in death? 
or some kind of crisis for people of color. Unfortunately, we keep having these cases. So I do think we're going to have to keep those protests or the people who are activists will because they'll realize that, you know, this isn't a sigh of relief. Uh, and, uh, you know, as I said earlier, if this had ended in an acquittal and every minority I know was worried that it would, uh, that this would have meant open season. But now it still means that police have to examine themselves and have that oversight and look at these bills that are trying to move through Congress and see what's going to happen with them, because there is still resistance. There are still many people who That's feel right. that police should have a pretty much open hand. Are they guardians or are they warriors? Uh, and definitely this is happening a, within the police, uh, police themselves. There's definitely a culture to be examined and, and to make progress on. Professor Wilson, the trials of the other three officers who were on the scene with George Floyd uh, when he was murdered, um, is still pending. So what does this decision um, do in terms of impact on those trials, you think? So those other officers were charged essentially with aiding and abetting a murder, right? And so the guilty verdict here um, solidifies the idea that there was a murder and that they can be charged with aiding and abetting. So I think what will be interesting to see how it plays out next, whether or not some of the officers plead out uh, now that they've seen seen the guilty verdict. But should uh, one or all of them go forward and go to trial, I think it will have important repercussions for how we hold police officers accountable, this idea that this is a systemic problem and not a, a one officer problem, this idea that three officers uh, essentially stood watch uh, as Mr. Floyd was begging for his life and did not intervene. I think just the situational um, position that these three officers were in, I think, should cause us to re-examine our whole notions and idea of policing. I always tell my students, as long as you continue to frame the uh, problem wrong, you're going to frame the solution wrong. I think this entire thing, but especially these three officers, should really give us pause as to whether or not carceral solutions and policing in the way that we do is an effective way uh, to, to govern in our society. Well, I certainly appreciate the perspective and the expertise of all three of you. Thank you so much for joining us. I definitely want to thank Mary C. Curtis, Dr. Erica Wilson, and Greer Webb for their thoughtful commentary today. We invite you to engage with us on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find our full episodes on pbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any time with our podcast series on Apple iTunes or Spotify. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. Thanks for watching. Quality Public Television is made possible through the financial contributions of viewers like you, who invite you to join them in supporting PBSNC.